Hi there, and welcome to Vox Talk, your weekly review from the world of voiceover. I'm your host, Stephanie Cicerelli from Voices. Do you know how to connect with an audience? On today's show, Jay Akunzo joins me to discuss resonance and the role it plays in engaging with listeners. Now, Jay is an author, the host of the Unthinkable podcast, which I listen to, I must say, and a brand consultant. Now, Jay has previously worked at Google, ESPN, and HubSpot, and is just an amazing communicator and storyteller. We'll have such a great time today. So, Jay, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephanie. Perfect. Okay, so... To start things off, I think we need to get a definition from you, and, and that would be the definition of resonance. Sure. So to understand resonance, we first have to compare it to its sibling or maybe cousin, which is reach. I just want to decouple those first, and then I'll share a definition of resonance. So reach is how many see it. Resonance is how much they care. Wonderful. Right? So resonance is about depth of connection, but more so it's about action. Because I think resonance is that urge to act that someone feels when a message or an experience aligns so closely with their own experience of the world or their lives that they feel somehow amplified. And what's fascinating is, you know, I'm on this little journey to understand this concept in the creative world, and it landed me in the sciences briefly to understand it from sort of an audio, very appropriate to this show, uh, standpoint, you know, audio, vibration, waveforms, frequencies, these sorts of things. And the science and the creative arts, very similar. Uh, it's about the alignment of two frequencies. When you match somebody else's or something else's natural frequency, that second system is amplified. So you think of pushing someone on the swing, when you align with their actual motion, instead of pushing them too soon or too late, you push them at exactly the right cadence, they are amplified. So it's the same way when you communicate with others, whether you're creating something in audio or video or text or in person, the goal is to somehow align with them to make them feel amplified. So you stand shoulder to shoulder and then you can march them every step of the way that they need to go to arrive at whatever conclusion it is, whatever action you're looking for them to take, whether it's to understand something better and you're sharing your ideas or to you know coming out of the marketing world like I did, to buy, to subscribe, to share something. So it, it starts with alignment and it leads to amplification and it lands on action. So that's the way you can understand resonance in the creative world, very similar to the sciences. Nice, so alignment, Oh, gosh. <laughs> amplification. <laughs> Alignment, yeah. amplification, and action. When, when you communicate in a way that people go, oh, you're speaking to my soul, you're now aligned, and that person feels amplified. You literally impart an energy. And we experience this all the time as creative people when we encounter something that inspires us, something that we love, something that matches the, the taste we have. We, we do feel that like emotion or that energy you know, in our chests, in our hearts, in our minds. So in the sciences, it's a literal or technical impart of energy from one system to another. And I think it's actually very, very similar, again, back in the communicative world. Yes, of course. And and one of the main reasons why I had you on, because you, you talk about this topic a lot. It's one of your favorite ones. Yes. Um, but in the business that we're in, in voiceover and voice acting, the core objective, like the main thing they have to do is like you have one job, right? <laughs> is that they have to connect with that audience and they need to be able to, um, first of all, learn enough about the audience in order that they may connect because a lot of what goes into this is is actually an awareness of of who you're speaking to. Absolutely. It, it all starts with empathy, you know, and, and that word gets thrown around a lot and people don't necessarily, you know, some people don't give it much power or credence, but it does start with an understanding of the who, right? And you hear all these pithy maxims in the work world, like start with your why and understand your why and, and all these things. But honestly, picking your who and understanding your, that I think supersedes everything because, you know, when I write a newsletter, it could be sent to thousands of people, but in my mind, it's sent to one. 
I'm writing to one, I'm speaking to one person on my podcast. Very rarely are you actually speaking to a community or a crowd, which makes it harder to understand who they are. But of course, there's some through line in that crowd. You know, a big part of my career is public speaking. So then everybody knows they're speaking to each other. But then I'm back at home alone on my couch watching a YouTuber say, hey, guys, welcome to my channel. And I'm looking around. I'm like, where where are all the guys? It's just me. Right? <laughs> so we're always speaking to one person and understanding who that one person is very deeply allows us to align with them, not just based on demographics, like, you know, this person is a business executive. This person is a, a child looking to learn this thing. No, no, the psychographics matter much more. That emotional through line that you're sort of reaching through the screen, tapping someone on the chest and going, feel this, right? Mm -hmm. Does this make sense to you? Does this, does this hit home and resonate with you emotionally? That, that's far more important when you understand who your audience is than you know, job title or area of the country or other demographics that people tend to talk about a lot more. No, of course. And I'm just, just thinking about uh, your background as a writer and, and how you're kind of in a way geared to to be thinking about that more. Like you're the one who's actually creating the message that will be shared. So a lot of the people who are listening right now, they're on, you know, I'm going to help share the message that someone else has written. Um, so bearing that in mind um, with a, a writing background, how can you help someone who is a messenger in effect um, share what it is that you're saying? Um, is Are there ways that that you as a writer would kind of prepare someone to deliver that message? I mean, I do this all the time in both technical senses and almost like implied. So the technical sense is writing scripts for a narrative style podcast that I host. This has become just natural to me over time. And I assure you at first it wasn't. You know, the way the script is written to be read out loud is very different than the way you would read. You know, this is what the problem is, I think, today with like audiobooks, for example, is that's written to be read through your eyes, to be read mm. silently in your mind. Yes. It is not <laughs> written to be spoken. And so you get these really awkward moments where the sentence runs on too long. The first thing you learn when you write for a narrative podcast, to, to be read, in my case, by me, or if I'm working with a producer, they're writing for me, or I'm writing for someone else if it's a client show, you know, it, it, it's like, okay, forget everything you learned as a quote-unquote writer with a capital W, right? For, throw out your English classes. You need to write in smaller bursts. You need to weave in, you know, ellipses for pauses, capital letters for emphasis. Like you need to actually mold the written word to become the spoken word. And I think a lot gets lost in that translation. And, and by the way, I could talk about this for hours. Just the <laughs> difference between writing to be read and writing to be heard is so subtle, but it is literally everything in terms of what the audience then receives. And I don't know how many folks I've talked to over the years, and I'm very grateful for this, will hear my show and they'll go, oh, I want to do a narrative show too. I'm, I'm burnt out on interview shows or I just, you know, I've done the interview show. I'd like to try my hand at narrative, you know, like any, any advice. And I was like, yes, the most important thing I can tell you to do is when you write your script, please read it out loud first before you hit record. Like that's just good writing advice in general is read it out loud to yourself. You'll catch stuff. But oh my goodness, the amount of people I hear who are speaking in these academic terms that if you read it, is beautiful language. But if you speak it, it makes them sound so bizarre. Like you'd never say soliloquy, you know, you'd never say you'd, all these words you're using, you'd never speak like that. And also like I use a lot of parent parenthetical asides in my writing that torpedoes the spoken word. Like you can't just wedge in the middle a quick aside. It's like, hold on, keep this thought in your mind, listener. And now I'm going to go to this aside and this tangent. And now, now we're going to come back to the other thing. No, there's not the visual cues. So the subtleties are everything in the art form. That's right. Yeah, there's 
like you can't italicize a voice other than to change your tone or the way that you right. speak or the volume, right? Whereas in the the printed format, it's it's easy to have something look like it it is something uh, other than what you're meant to be hearing out loud. But I love yeah. what you said about reading the copy out loud. My goodness, like everyone should be doing that. I know voice actors will read the copy out loud. Perhaps the writer didn't, and they're like, "Wow, like maybe I should edit this, or can I do?" And I know that that's almost. I don't want to say it's like the worst sin ever for for you know an actor trying to read a, someone else's script. But how how do writers actually feel about that? Like, let's say there's a piece that isn't um, written very well, you know, and I'm not saying that would be anything you'd make because clearly you write very well. Um, but, you know, the odd producer here and there, they, they mm -hmm. might not, you know, go through with a fine tooth comb. They might not read aloud. So how acceptable is it for a talent to then say, this doesn't flow very well? You know, I think that there could be a pause here. I might inflect there. Um, yeah. Is that something that they should do or something that uh, someone might be offended by? Right. Well, let's talk about two things. I think there's two important things there. One is um, the difference between selling your time and your talent. And then the other is the purpose of, of words. Like this is, it feels like a silly exercise, but let, let's start with that. The, the purpose of the writing, the purpose of the words on the page is not to then read those words or deliver those words to the audience. It's to convey meaning, right? And that meaning happens in two domains or two dimensions. It happens in, in terms of understanding the what, like the visual, the sequence of events, et cetera, but also the emotional thrust of it, right? The way you want someone to feel as a result of how this was described or, you know, did the sentence run long or short? All these mechanical things convey not just the technical meaning of it all, but the emotional meaning of it all. So the, the meaning unfolds on two dimensions. And so the part that the word plays is to convey that. And if you're speaking what was once written, something is going to be different but you need to arrive at the same meaning. And so if you can show somebody, a client, for example, or you know, a producer I'm working with on my show saying this to me or vice versa, hey, this was the intended meaning. This was the outcome that we're going for here in the minds of the audience. And this avenue to get there is better. Like that's what should matter. So, so in my work, like I am nothing if not a creator. Like that's what I do. I just serial side project maker, day job, creating content. I understand that if a producer were to read a script from me, for example, and they take it in a slightly different direction, I'm looking for, was it still, what, what I had in my head, was that still conveyed? Regardless of what exactly was said. I know a lot of people on the receiving end of your audience's work, Stephanie, may not have that relationship with someone or may not be serving like a pure artist or creator on the other end. And so this goes back to time versus talent. Whether you're a freelancer or you're working for a firm and then the firm's marketing takes this role, it's really important that we bring a point of view to the work because, you know, coming out of content marketing, writing, you know, more text-driven mediums as I have, I see this with freelance writers all the time where they say, I write well, I write this, I've written that. And so what ends up happening is they, they're promoting what they can do. They're promoting essentially their time and maybe their skills, but not their point of view on it, not their taste, right? It's sort of like you get put on a spreadsheet against others who do what you do, and it's a race to the bottom because then you get compared to your peers and it's based on price, again, a race to the bottom. But if you can bring a point of view and market it that way, whether you are a freelancer and that's how you position yourself or you are working for a firm and that's how hopefully the firm goes to market, now I'm not bringing on someone who is a voice actor, someone who is going to do some narration for me, someone who's going to write an article for me, produce a podcast. I'm not bringing on what you can do. I'm bringing on how you do it. I want your taste. I want your unique point of view. 
So for example, I make podcasts and documentaries for brands. And I'm often involved in the strategy and the development phase, and sometimes we'll host them. Well, I make no bones about it. I'm, I'm focused on the work and business categories, and I lead with the fact that I think content about work feels like too much work to consume. It's boring, it's dry, it's dense, et cetera. So I lead with this belief. And all over my website, you can find what I believe in, including on my client page, I, I start with this. And it basically, it's useful friction so that by the time you're working with me, you get what I'm about and also how I view the work. It's not just that I can do this. A lot of people can do this. Only a few people, or maybe even just I, believe that the work should be done in this way. And by the way, that means some people will be very for me, and some people will be against that. Some people will not want that, even if they have the dollars to pay me or and they want a podcast. And I think it's that decision we have to make on an organizational level or an individual level if we're, if we're free agents or freelancers. What do I want to stand for? What do I believe this work is about? Can I be forceful in my beliefs up front? Because the entire game is the same. It's win better clients, right? And the way you do that is not to get fancier logos on your page, although that's what we're told. It's certainly not to upsell existing people paying you because if you're the $10,000 person or service, you'll never be the $100,000. It's really hard to go that route. It's to win better clients by aligning back to residents more deeply with how they see the world and by sharing how you see the world or the work in this case. Now, that's really important. As you said, like there's, I think talent are always like, how do I differentiate myself? How do I stand out? And one way is to actually say what it is that you believe and how you work and, and what makes you different. Because if you're just like, oh, I can do this work. And, you know, it's just basically punch in, punch out, or like I ticked all the boxes and woohoo, right? Like, no, like if you want to actually do meaningful work with people that you really want to work with, then you do have to be a bit vulnerable and let them know what it is that you're passionate about and the sorts of projects that that you you really want to work on with with the clients that you have. Right. It, we're in the we're in the business of marketing and sales. And it's not the marketing and sales that we maybe have um, you know, the idea of those things built up in our minds over time. Like I especially understand this as a creative where we might run kicking and screaming from those ideas. But to me, marketing and sales is about conveying the best of you. It's about understanding like who is my tribe, what is my market. It's not everybody who could possibly pay me for the thing that I am uniquely good at doing. It's the folks who are aligned with me. It's the folks who want the type of work that I want to exist. And look, like I'm a freelancer. There are pay the bills clients all the time, right? And you know, maybe they're not on the website or maybe their logo is on the website, but you don't see the sample of it anywhere. Like that, that's a reality. But bit by incremental bit, I think we can start to show up in the world publicly on social media, through our blogs, our newsletters, the content we create to talk about what we believe in, the communities we run in, the events we attend or speak at, wherever we show up, that brings us notoriety, that brings us community, that's our chance to say, this is why I do this stuff. It's not just what I do, it's why I'm doing this. And for my money, that's where you win better clients, that's where you feel more fulfilled. You know, And, and it's hard because you're saying at first, I'm not getting in line. Like there's a line down the street for people who say, oh, I do this, I'm, I'm voice talent, right? And there's a very short line that forms when you're like, I'm voice talent that believes in this very specific thing, or I'm creating and developing podcasts for brands, but I have this bent to it, mm. right? Like usually you basically have to get ahead of the message and be proactive and be like, I have to go out and, and, and tell people that's what I'm about. Or they came to me and I have to say, look, you want to work with me, I understand that. I'd love to talk you out of it. I'd love <laughs> to tell you all the reasons that I'm not a fit for mm -hmm. all these popular approaches to hiring someone to develop a podcast, 
right? Do you want a basic interview show where it's just a parade of the same old experts and authors in your industry and that you call that a business podcast? I'm not for you. Do you want this? The, the, here's, the ter here's this typical. Here's the average. Here's the stereotype. I'm not creating average things for the average audience here. I'm creating something very specific. And by the way, I'm the best in the business at doing that specific thing, but not everyone wants that specific thing. Right. And, and so it is a trade-off. But I, I think over time, the more you do that, the more the trade-off becomes worthwhile. Yes. Uh, I just, um, when you were talking about this, it reminded me of a, a past episode on your show. I think it might've even been a series of episodes about maker monsters and how like yes. there are these like little, I don't want to call them little henchmen or like boogeymen or whatever, but the, the things that you tell yourself or that you believe that are false, um, that can just stifle that creativity. And, and frankly, actually hurt someone in the areas that you were just speaking about because yes. they're afraid to step out and do something. So um, can you maybe share some of what a maker monster might be, just your definition <laughs> of that? Because uh, yeah. I know we both know, but uh, for everyone else out there, uh, maybe you can give them an idea. Sure. So Unthinkable, I mentioned quickly, is a narrative show. So there's voiceover, there's music and sound design. There's often multiple voices to support one story. And uh, But it's it's about, you know, the way I frame it is, aspirationally anyway, it's like if Radiolab was about a creator's career. Um, that's what I, I want it to be. Radiolab is at the top of the mountain of all audio experiences. But um, And I'm a huge fan. So uh, the consistent through line has always been folks feel called to do a higher caliber creative work um, that aligns with their values, you know, the, and, and it's often hard to push that out into the world because you feel so many barriers, things pushing against you. And oftentimes we point to, but my boss, but my clients, but my resources, but this industry, but, 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 right? Uh, the trend is heading this way and I, I dislike that. But a lot of barriers are actually internal. A lot of it comes down to trusting yourself. A lot of it comes down to what's in your brain and time and time again, the more we told stories of creative people, the more that pr proved to be really rich and cathartic and relatable moments in their stories. So my producer, Alana Nevins, and I were talking about how do we highlight those maker monsters? And I called them mm -hmm. maker monsters. And we're like, okay, let's just do a series where we actually didn't interview a single individual. We sent prompts to as many creative people from a diverse array of backgrounds that we could reach you know, activists, writers, authors, podcasters, entrepreneurs, like folks that are constantly putting themselves out there that you would go, oh, they figured it out. They're successful. And we just asked them about their maker monsters, where it shows up, how they handle it, et cetera. And so what you heard in the final cut of the first was a chorus of voices all dealing with these monsters, um, you know, almost like you were hovering above the jungle and everyone was trying, but sort of languishing to hack their way through that jungle. And then over time, as the series unfolded in different episodes, we would dive down below the tree line to spend some time with two to three creators who were dealing with similar monsters. So we had one on an imposter syndrome. We had one on a perfectionism. Um, we have very many more planned as we move from a weekly show that we're actually doing seasons. That's the big change for the show coming up. So we can pursue more ambitious storytelling. Um, and so, yeah, everyone is dealing with their own maker monsters. And the conclusion of all the series, just to, to give it away, is you're never going to defeat them. What you learn to do is dance with them. What you learn to do is put them in their place to acknowledge them and say, you're with me on this journey, but I'm leading. You're not. And that's really what everybody arrived at, whether it was the producer of a podcast for the Smithsonian, Lizzie Peabody from Side Door Podcast, talking about, we're not saving lives here. None of this matters. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and she creates a song and her husband yeah. helped her make a song. And she sings the song on the pod on Unthinkable. She sings this song about it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. It's wonderful. And it just the way we all come at this stuff, it often starts and stops with what's going on internally. And that really is the barrier. And we like to point to external things, but so often it's these, it's these maker monsters that hold us back. 
Yeah, Maker Monsters. If anyone has not heard of that before today, make sure that you write it down and go check out the Unthinkable podcast and find those narrative episodes on um, the Maker Monsters because <laughs> they were really well done um, for someone who comes from the audio world and mostly as a, a voice person, but still, um, my husband's an audio engineer by training. So, oh, awesome. you know, yeah, yeah. So, as co founders of Voices, he was the technical side and I'm the creative side. Uh, but yeah, what I, I just really enjoy your show and Thank something you. I do admire about what you do is that you are a master of narrative and like i'm i admittedly am not i am not that sort so when i thought oh gonna have jay on the show like i've got to think of all these things to because he's just he thinks everything out so much and you know like, that's maybe one of my maker monsters is that i'm thinking oh my gosh like i have to measure up to to what this person might expect because they're just at a different level and in, in or different talent and gifts really right I, I, fe I faced that too and i remember there was there's was a couple of interviews early in unthinkable's run where i i sort of tried to prove to the guest, prove to the subject that I was on their level and what they it, honestly like what ends up happening is you try to you try to be the expert or try to be the subject essentially and you're not you but but your unique skills are I understand the questions that I want to ask. I understand the journey I'm on with the overall show's premise and I can press anybody through that unique premise and out comes an original because it's my show, it's this show specifically, not another show about creativity of which there are many really great ones, but we have a very unique bent. Um so if I show up as the guide into this person's life, career, story, not I'm on par with this person, I'm mm. the star. You know, if I let curiosity win the day, then good things tend to happen. Um, but where we, I think, fall short, especially, you know, I'm speaking mostly to interviewers because that's a lot of the shows that exist, is we want to be the star. We want to be the expert. But that's actually not your role. Your role is to be a guide. You let the byproduct be people trust and love you. But on the show, you are a guide into a theme. You are a guide into the show's overall premise. You're a guide into this person's life or work. And, you know, so the, taking sort of hat in hand and being more humble about it or curious about it and framing yourself not like an expert, but more like an explorer, I feel like removes imposter syndrome really nicely because nobody is commenting on what I made or who I am. It's stuff that I found. Here, I dug this up for you. I found it. Do you want it? And people go, yeah, this is great. Fantastic. I'm going to go find some more stuff now. Or people go, no, this is terrible. And I'm like, no worries. I'm going to go try to find other people who like what I found. Or no worries. I can go and find other things, right? So it's you're an explorer, not an expert. And I feel like that's a healthy way to, to beat back those that one very specific maker monster I think you're speaking to, which is imposter syndrome. Yeah, that's a big one. And I know um, on a past episode of the show, uh, we had a guest on and we were just, he was another podcasting expert and and just talking about how uh, when a voice actor uh, is hired to actually host someone else's show, similar to how you had done in past uh, for other things, uh, you know, like you have to at least sound like you understand what's going on in the show and, you know, the audience. And, and there's two different kinds of podcasts, I think, I believe. Um, but uh, Jeff Large was the guest. And, and anyway, we we're, we were talking about um, how, you know, you might have a, a podcast format that is meant to be very much like we're going to tell you how to do this. Here's all the steps. You could find all the information on Google. And it was more um, prescriptive. Uh, yeah. And then you would have another model that is more like, let's go on a journey. This is more about story. And it doesn't so much matter that you're a subject matter expert, whereas it would in the first one. Um, but, you know, the transformational content um, is is very different. And so um, yeah. this whole idea of, you know, someone maybe stepping in shoes like yours saying, well, I'm, I might not be um, host material on my own, but if um, I'm hired as a voice actor or a narrator to to give life to this corporate show, because I, I no doubt some of your clients might go that route, um, then you obviously have to to be uh, in alignment to have resonance with uh, yeah. what that content is in that brand. 
a hundred percent. Like the uh, of all the podcasts I've ho I've hosted six podcasts and and two docu docu series. Um, and in that time, one, maybe two, were entirely in my brain and my own, and I, you know, didn't sort of didn't matter if I aligned with anybody else's. But in all others, I did have to sort of shape myself in some way as a performer and a storyteller to what the client was seeking. But the way we did that wasn't to say, you know, give me the history of your business or everything that's in your head. Cause quite frankly, a lot of clients don't know They, you know, they can sense it maybe. And, but my job is to be the synthesizer that says, okay, are you thinking of it this way? And they go, ah, yeah, exactly. I didn't have the words for it, but you're the communicator, Jay. That's exactly what is in my head. So, and also by, by the way, what we do creatively is inherently selfish. It's impossible to totally remove you from the work, including if you're reading someone else's words, you are involved. It's going to change the fact that you're present. And if I sub you out for someone else, something will change. So we're better off stepping into that versus, oh, no, 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 I'm a white label solution. So I'm not. I'm not a white label solution to host a client's podcast, but I can figure out the marriage or the overlap of sort of my perspective, my quirks and idiosyncrasies as a performer and a storyteller and my vision for this with theirs. And the way to do that, the way you kind of come to a harmony is what is the premise? Like if, if this succeeds, what's different for others, right? Because they're going to arrive thinking, what will be different when I'm done? doesn't matter the experience. That's always implied in your mind as a consumer of anything. What will be different when I'm done? I'm hiring this into my life to serve a purpose. What is that purpose? And if the client, you know, I serve brands with podcasts, most of them go, you know, if they say drive sales, you know, drive brand awareness. Sorry, we're not there yet. We haven't arrived. I'm talking about the audience. That's who I'm here to serve. Because if you want me to do that, if I serve the audience better, I'm serving you better. If I make things that are irresistible, that they go, oh my gosh, this is speaking to me. And by the way, I got to tell five of my friends, even before I opt into this, because look at the way it's positioned and the premise that's described in the intro. Like I need to find other people that love this like I love this, even before I hear it. If I do that well, then you're served better, client, right? So it's almost like you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. Like you want me thinking audience first. You need me thinking audience first. And the, again, the overlap of them and me is, so what is the premise? What are we here to own outright in the market? What are we trying to change for the audience? And I can I can constantly come back to that as a reset if I start to lose my way and it becomes too much of like the J show and not the premise show, right? I need that North Star. And oftentimes they don't know they need it too. So that's part of the value I can bring. That is so awesome. And I was just thinking, before we let you go, I have one more question. Not sure how much into the AI space you are, Jay, because I okay. know you're, you're very creative. You're all over the place. Um, but as you might know, AI voices are becoming more and more um, prevalent. They're everywhere now. And just everything you've been talking about being like deliberate with choices and understanding your audience and connecting and resonance and all this, like is like what you're doing right now, obviously it would feel like AI could not replicate that, you know, um, but it gets better. And we were hearing just yesterday, I had a guest on from the world of sports and he said, you know, all those highlight reels that you see, you know, they show this, the setup to that, to this, it's all AI. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, all these things surprise me and well, yeah. maybe they shouldn't have. Um, but I'm just curious as yeah. to your take, like how is AI influencing storytelling? I don't know. And I don't want to sit here pretending to be an AI expert. What I do know is we tend to worry about these very macro level trends like that which preclude us or distract us, I think, from pursuing the uniqueness with which we can bring our own personal style to the work. And so rather than worry about the big stuff, maybe we worry about what feels very small, which is how am I differentiated in this next project? How did I improve piece to piece, moment to moment? Um, I think about the photography world and you have companies like Unsplash, unsplash.com, 
which you know was you know a Getty and all these other paid services aside, Unsplash was giving away tons and tons of stock photography for free, and a lot of photographers were were excited because they got exposure, and then others were like, "This is terrible. This is chewing into our." And it's like, but that's what the market wants. And so what you have to do is not just be a photographer, you have to have a point of view as a photographer because no one is gonna be able to replicate your point of view. And you have to work hard on what is that point of view, right? It's not enough to be technically competent. I don't think it ever was, quite frankly. I think we just have a, a boogeyman excuse, which is AI or tech or whatever you wanna say, you know, curated content from around the web or copyright infringement. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fairly certain the folks that have a unique identifier, that have a point of view, that have educated the market that come that show up as teachers and inspirers of others that oh by the way you can hire me to do this stuff with you those folks are not sitting around worrying about ai it's the folks that are worrying about the letter of the law like i am a voice actor i am a podcast host i am an interviewer i am cutting sports highlights um you know those are the folks that because what they're doing ends up being rote because they can be placed on a spreadsheet and compared to everyone else on price because they have not thought about their belief system and led with that publicly in their conversations and wherever they show up, they are the ones at risk. And by the way, I'm being really flippant about this because there are some folks that maybe they're not privileged enough to think about that stuff. Maybe they are just trying to put food on the table. You know, they have a lot going on in their personal lives. It's, it's a luxury of mine that I can say, think about your differentiation. But I think quickly that luxury is becoming the job. Is be, you know, table stakes are the skills because knowledge is ubiquitous. Expertise is commodified. You're not gonna out expert or out competent someone else. You need that extra layer. You need that ability to say, this is my own style. This is my point of view. And I have testimonials to back that up. And I have samples to back that up. But I think that's what people are increasingly going to hire on the human side. The stuff that tech can't replicate is the stuff that feels a little bit more bespoke and a lot more belief focused and a lot more taste driven. It's not the stuff that you can just repeat through technology. Everybody, you've got homework, okay? So you need to go and figure out what your point of view, your perspective is, uh, the ways that you can differentiate yourself. Because like we've all talked about this, all the actors, you know, I'm talking to you, but just basically like when you go through method acting and, and you, um, you know, approach a role, or you see a script and, and you think of something, a, a memory. Sometimes we think of like with uh, Inside Out, that Pixar film, you have a core memory and you draw on it and you, you infuse it into whatever that scene is and no one will be able to perform it as you did because you're using something that was unique to you. That was your own experience and it just shines through and in a way that um, can't be replicated. And I think that's part of what you're saying there, Jay. A lot of it has to do with the branding and the way that someone positions themselves and the work that they go after to find something that you're really passionate about. And um, I know you're probably a big believer in this, but making your own content. If you're not getting hired right now, then make something and then you'll get noticed. I forget the exact, I'm going to butcher it. I'm trying to frantically look this up. There's a, an old adage whoever tells the stories rules the world, um, something along those lines. And like what I see from a lot of creative people is, and this is the history of creators and artists, is you, you've always needed the patron. You've always needed someone to put you on. You've been underpaid and underappreciated and sort of beaten down. And, you know, that's why we turn to side projects. That's why a lot of artists become rebellious or love the rebelliousness of certain people. Like I understand where this comes from. It's culturally ingrained in us as creative people to sort of be, be more shrinking violets. And the funny thing is though, is in this world where everything is tech related, everything is tech enabled, the most powerful people are the storytellers. The mm -hmm. stories rule the world. 
And we can tell stories better than anybody else, whether we're hired to then be a long form narrative podcaster, a ghostwriter, a voice talent. It doesn't matter what specific subsector of that we occupy. We are the masterful communicators in this world. And what we're waiting to do is to have someone gift us money, time, resources, permission to tell their stories. We need to get better at telling our own. That and we have that ability. We ha if we show up in a, in a potential sales interaction or job interview or client relationship, and we are telling stories about the work we're doing and our value and our belief system around it, they won't help but feel gobsmacked that oh, we got to pay them. Like yeah, 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 there's technology, but that's the lowbrow stuff. We're not looking to do that stuff. I got to work with Sarah. I got to work with Sam because you know, emotional reason here. People make emotional choices. And back to resonance, we understand the things we need to say and the order in which we can say them to resonate with others so they pick us. Um, the, the best stories win the day. And so power to the storytellers and it's time we stepped into our own power. So much to think about, absolutely. Well, Jay Akunzo, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you here on Vox Talk today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for pushing me out of my comfort zone and asking incredibly great questions. I hope that your audience <laughs> appreciates the masterful work you do on the mic, and I'm sure they do. Oh, yes. And before we let you go again, um, how can people learn more about what you do and where can they find you? jayaconzo.com. That's everything and anything. But if you are listening to a show and you want to move quickly over to another show, the name of mine is Unthinkable. Um, but don't hide within advice content. Go make something. That if you want to, if you want to like support my mission in, in the world, you know, yes, fine. Listen to my show, but mostly go make something. All right. Well, go make something. Couldn't have said it better myself. And that's the way we saw the world through the lens of voiceover this week. Thank you so much for listening to Vox Talk. And also thank you. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Oh, so much to Jay Akunzo. He was just an amazing guest. I really hope that you took a lot of notes. Um, go back and listen again if you need to. There's a lot of good information in there for you and a lot of inspiration as well, I might say. So I'm Stephanie Cicerelli, your host with Voices. Our producer is Jeff Bremner. You've been listening to Vox Talk. We look forward to seeing you next week. Thank mm -hmm. you.